Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Redstone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chloe Bloxham and Chris Coughlin as we look back on Liverpool's 3-0 draw with Brighton and look ahead to the Champions League tie against Rangers. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool finally back in action after such a long break and it was a pretty disastrous start against Brighton as Leandro Trossard Gave them a two-goal lead early on. Liverpool managed to turn the game around, thanks to a couple of goals from Firmino and then an own goal from Adam Webster, but weren't able to see it out. Um, Trossard completing his hat-trick. The first player, I believe, to score a hat-trick at Anfield in the Premier League since Andre Arshavin, which says a lot. And that is a result now that leaves them ninth in the table at the time of recording with two wins and 10 points from their first seven matches. So we'll start with the three-word match reviews, another one of sort of what went wrong edition, unfortunately, for this season. I'll come to you first, Chris. Um, what have you got? And also, how frustrating was it, especially in light of what we were discussing on the pre-match episode, to see Liverpool take two steps back after the step forward they made against Ajax? That was immensely frustrating. Immensely frustrating. Um, my three-word match report is, where's the defence? Because for a lot of the game, it did seem like it was Alison Becker against Brighton, to be honest. And that links on to one of the main discussion points, I think, in terms of, I was thinking to myself after the game yesterday, watching back a few highlights and things. In all the time that Alison Becker has been at Liverpool, he's always been alert. He's always been one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and he still is. There's no debate about that. But he's never had to be busy. And that is something, not just yesterday, but overall so far this season. Alison Becker has had to be busy. And it's not a word you'd associate with him because the defence has been so good in front of him. He hasn't had to be busy. But we are seeing quite an alarming trend at the moment where he's being called upon much more often than has been the case in the past. And Brighton were able to create chances at will. This is not taking anything away from them. They are a wonderful football team, an exciting football team. And I think it's quite refreshing to see. I think Trossard's a very, very good footballer. But the amount of saves Allison is needing to make at the moment, not just yesterday, that's enough cause for concern before you look at the wider picture overall. So three-word match report, where's the defence? I will definitely come on to the defence uh, in a bit more depth because you know I've certainly got some things I want to say about that with Allison. I think he's sort of consolidated. I would say his his position as the best player for Liverpool in in this calendar year. He played a huge part last season when we were going for the quadruple, which obviously feels like a long time ago now. But this season, in terms of having to stand up where others are kind of fallen, um, he's been. Salvaging some respectability for Liverpool, you'd have to say, and, and there was a pretty clear case of that yesterday. You know, could have been certainly out of sight, Brighton, um, without Allison's interventions. And it says a lot, really, that the goalkeeper is is getting so much praise at the moment. And I don't mean that as a slight on Allison whatsoever, because, like you say, Chris, we all recognise he he's probably the best there is, really. But it's a common theme when a defence is struggling that the goalkeeper comes in for a lot of praise and the goalkeeper is the only one really who kind of comes out of it with their reputation enhanced. 
you see it with teams who are in relegation battles. That's why a lot of the time, sort of keepers down the bottom will actually end up staying in the Premier League um, yeah. when the t- when the teams go down because the the goalkeeper's been so busy and come out of it looking good. And I think it's happened as well. You know, certain United sides where De Gea has, has basically been given no protection whatsoever, um, and there's certainly some sort of echoes of that. Um, for my review, I went with issues run deep because you know we spoke after Ajax and. The review then was sort of Reds recognisable again, and it felt like maybe it could be the, the the refresh that we needed the starting point for the season. And it felt like you could kind of look to what was happening after the break with optimism. But to see that performance yesterday shows that it isn't going to be something that's necessarily a quick fix. And it shows as well, really, um, when you look at the options that were available to Klopp yesterday. Shows that wasn't really injuries to blame necessarily either. Um, and that the problems are a lot more sort of fundamental um rather than superficial, um, you'd have to say. But Chloe, um, I'll bring you in now. Three word match reviews. And also, what did you make of the performance? Because it was a strange one. You can't really have any complaints, can you, with the result whatsoever in terms of Liverpool didn't really deserve to win, even if they had been able to hold off Brighton in those closing stages. Yeah, my, my three-word match review would be absolutely shambolic defending um, and the defence cost us. It was that simple. I think in the first 15 minutes, they could have been three or four nil up. Alison Becker has kept us in this game. Um, and the thing that frustrates me the most is I actually thought we played really, really well for a large majority of the game. However, it only started when we were 2 nil down. For some reason, this Liverpool side had to go 2 nil down to get a to get a reaction. Um and it, it is so frustrating because by that time you've pretty much already lost the game. And we have superstar players who who can get us back into the game, but I do not trust us when we're in front. I do not trust our, us anymore. I remember years ago when even when we were behind, I'd trust that we'd come on and win. And I trust that if we were only Two, two, one up or something, we'd be able to hold on because our defence, our spine, you know, we're there. Now, I cannot trust us when we go in front. When we went in front, we took the pedal off the gas and we went into this kind of defensive situation. I don't know why, because the second half of the first half, after they went 2-0 up, I liked the reaction from us. I thought in the, the second half, up until about 70 minutes, I thought we were really, really good. Um, we had some chances, but the thing I liked most was the, the intensity. We were starting to put them under the pressure. The first 20 minutes, they were passing out from the back and they were just absolutely having us off every single time. Luis Diaz comes on and you take that away from them. They can no longer pass out from the back. And we were winning the ball higher up. And what we were doing was, every time, it was like a Liverpool performance. I saw positives from it. Because every time we'd go on the attack, they'd hoof it out and guess what? We'd get the ball back and we'd go again. Um, and I thought we played fairly decent for, for quite a bit of the game. But every time they attacked and counted on us, you, you just sat there thinking, goal, goal, goal. Because we just defensively as a whole team, and we can single out the defenders as well, because let's be honest, they were absolutely shocking that back four. But as a team, you've got to first defend well as a team. It shouldn't be getting to to the defence. We should be doing better. You know, 
pressing and then the midfielder should be should be closer to the players and we weren't. Um, but I thought we did really, really well, which is exactly why we went 3-2 up. You know, if we go 3-2 up here, it's hard to turn around and say we need to stop conceding goals first because you've done everything you really need to do to get back into the game and you've won it. But once again, we left us ourselves a, a high mountain to climb and when we finally got back into it, and we went ahead. We had a little bit of luck. Um, we then decided to to drop off. The intensity disappeared, and it was it was very much like okay, Brighton, you can have it and you can pass it round us. And Brighton just thought, yeah, we 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 did this for the majority of the game here, and you weren't getting closer closer to us in the first half, and we scored two goals from it. We can do that again. Um, and it it was just it was deflating. Because you're three to up with about six, seven minutes to go. And the goals we conceded, I mean, fair play to Brighton, played really well. Um, and, you know, they could be sitting here thinking, how have they not won the game? Um, but at the same time, defensively, there's just questions got to be asked about these senior players. Absolutely. And I think we'll come on to the defence in just a second. I mean, on the performance generally I think Klopp was talking after the game about how he didn't know how Brighton were going to set up new manager um etc and he was kind of caught out by how they did it in, in the early part of the game and to a degree you can understand that you know the Zerbi's never managed it in the Premier League before and even if you look at his games for other clubs there is obviously going to be a degree of kind of adaptation to, to a new side but it doesn't really seem like a proper excuse for me to say that because, you know, top players and top managers should be able to adapt and it, they shouldn't have to sort of go a couple of goals down in the early parts of the game before they can kind of intervene. And that's basically what happened is, you know, you know, there's a, there's a tweet here. Um, let me just make sure I give credit to it. Michael Reed on Twitter said, um, Liverpool didn't actually allow any shots um, between going 2-0 down and going 3-2 up. So they did work Brighton out um, in that spell. I don't think there was loads of sort of fluid attacking within that. I thought, as we have done a few times, we were kind of reliant on moments of, of quality or, or fortune, as you alluded to, Chloe. But certainly we were able to kind of realise how Brighton were hurting us and respond to it and, and maybe um, turn the tide in that respect. But then obviously then it comes down to the... Uh, Comes down to the game management, and uh, like you say, Chloe, something a cop alluded to again. He said the team couldn't really decide if they were going to sit back, which you wouldn't really expect Liverpool to do, or kind of press high. And this kind of sort of half half baked approach, if you like, um, to trying to defend that lead early on was um, always going to end in at least a big chance for Brighton. And they got a couple of big chances, scored the second one. And, and I'm sitting there, like you, I think, and looking at it saying. You know, we're at Anfield, we've already kind of had the drama of the comeback. There's only 10 minutes to go or whatever. I'm thinking, surely now we see it out. Like, rationally, I'm thinking we will see it out. And then I'm just sort of watching what's actually happening on the pitch and Liverpool's anxiety, vulnerability, lack of control, all that. And I'm just thinking to myself, no, I feel like there's another kind of gut punch coming here. And sure enough, um, it arrived. But was there something else you want, wanted to add there, Chloe? Yeah, you mentioned their manager, and I'm pretty sure he only had, I think Jürgen Klopp said in his pre-match press conference, 
the Zerbi has only had one training session with these lads. One training session with his entire squad. And I don't understand, like, I, I, from, from the off, our problem this season to start with is conceding first because we start so slow. And I actually thought the first minute and a half, like, you could see the intensity. I thought, oh, we, we look a bit sharp here. And then we just could not get close to them. And we spoke about the, the press. We can't use a high line if the pressing is not correct. And it was a case of we just had far too much time and space on a football, mixed with a load of errors in defence. And, and they they teared us apart in that first 20 minutes. Um, but the fact that that manager has a translator and can't speak English, so there, it, there's not just is can you lose a bit of passion from everything with that, but you can also things don't exactly translate correctly in the exact way you want them to, and he's only had a handful of training sessions with them. I do not understand how we have to go two 0 down to then change it. Only after we go two 0 down does he call Virgil Van Dijk over to try and change the tactics. Why haven't you done that after going one nil down? Why haven't you done that after you know they have? I think it's a Danny Welbeck header which should be in the back of the net, which is after we've just gone one nil down when Trossard has a shot in the middle of the box and and like they had so many chances, and you could see the same attack happening again and again and again, and only after fifteen minutes did we then tell Virgil Van Dijk, okay, we need to change this, but there's there's got to be a a plan B. But also, when you go 1-0 down, if you can't figure them out, sit back. Put 11 men behind the ball and try and make them try and break you down. Don't go toe-to-toe with them in that moment. Give yourself a couple of minutes to try and understand what you need to do to solve it. And instead, we were just so naive and were too vulnerable. We're so soft. And I'll mention a part of the game which has angered me more than anything else. And that is in the second half. When one of their players goes down, I think he comes off in the end, but he goes down and they've wasted a load of time already. But he goes down. It's not a head injury. He's gone down off the like off the ball. He's just pulled up with a, a hamstring or whatever. And we're all telling Tiago to move to to run with the ball, and basically he just stops and he says, "Yeah, ref, blow your whistle because I'm going to kick it out." And for that moment, we were on top. We were really good, you know. I think we'd scored the third and there was a break of about three to four minutes where they could tell their players what to do. We could all have a breather, Brighton, because at that moment we were on top and then they come and scored against us. That has annoyed me because that stopped us. Um, the momentum we had, the pressure, the, the pressing of us, it all stopped once Thiago just stopped the ball and let them have a three-minute break. He's on the floor, not with a head injury. Have some ruthlessness about you. I'm sick and tired of the team. If it's that easy to score against you, at least be a bit of an idiot and put one on one. Or I need you to just have some sort of anger about you where if someone's on a pitch down holding his leg, you play on. You need to stop being so nice. Do you two watch the Manchester derby today? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a part in that game, wasn't there, in the first half of Iran goes down with an injury. And they play on, yeah. And, and Manchester City play on. And look, the of course, you don't, you, you don't like seeing anybody injured, but it's that ruthlessness of it's not a head injury. The referee hasn't decided to stop the game. So there's no reason for you to stop play. 
Exactly, but that that three minute break, we were on top. We just scored. We still had intensity, and then this break in play happened. And the next thing is when the play resumes, we can't get near any player. The passing it round us, the lack of intensity is gone. Our pressing's gone. We we were coiled into a defensive situation, and we gave them the time and the breather because they were on the back foot, and we kept recycling the ball. We gave them the breather to sort out their tactics, to get a bit of a, you know, to get more air into the lungs and to go again, to chat to one another and tell each other where they need to be. We gave them that break and we lost our momentum by doing that. And it angers me how soft we are in a football game. And you look at it and you think, the way it was going, we kind of needed the fourth goal, given how vulnerable we have been defensively. The approach was probably to kind of go for the kill as opposed to just try and see it out and I think maybe after that break is, is a good way to almost dividing it up and saying you know after that it was a bit too kind of timid and and obviously letting Brighton um back into it um, and paying the price for it but Chris let's talk about the defense um how do you want to look at it is this I thought yesterday the back four pretty much um I, I, I mean I didn't have too much of an issue with Matip but I thought the rest of them were poor um and we'll come on. I'll have to mention Trent, obviously, again, sadly. Um, but are you looking at it like, like that? Or are you thinking again about defending as a team and a unit and that being a failing? Because you mentioned the Manchester derby there. I'm watching it. And I'm getting flashbacks to Liverpool at their absolute best. Because United are trying to build build attacks. And granted, there's you know, there's a lot of a lot of passes that they're attempting that are going astray, which is just poor execution from them. But the fact that they were basically just had all their options cut off, really, and you could see the panic in them, and you could see how well City were shutting the gaps down. And with Liverpool, you know, you watch Brighton's third goal yesterday, they just basically, I think Webster advanced over the halfway line, plays a pass to Welbeck, they work it out wide, back across goal, and it's just literally straight through the lines like that. So, back four issue yesterday, or was it more a collective failing? How did you see it? I'm glad you mentioned the collectiveness because I'm not letting the midfield off here. I'm really not. In our in our um, predictions for team selection uh, pre-game, me and you both chose Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson with the intention of that being the midfield three to kind of stagnate Brighton's attacking creative threat. And it's it's uh, suffice to say that uh, that didn't work. Um, but yeah, you know, the defense overall, of course, you mentioned Trent and rightly so. Um I I do worry for the lad just because it is quite a bombardment that's coming his way at the moment. Um unfortunately I wasn't able to be at the game yesterday, but from people I've spoken to, from people that were there, they said that Brighton fans are also lapping it up in terms of Trent's poor form. Um, and when it is that vocal, when it is that in the open, then I do wonder, you know, I, I do worry for the lad in terms of, you know, I, I hope he's mentally okay because that can, of course, take a strain on, on you as well. Um, but it, it can't be a good time for him at the moment. Of course, we, we don't know what goes on in anyone's lives, but mentally as well, it, it, it's quite, it must be quite a strain for him to kind of be taking it all on the chin at the moment. Um I feel we have discussed Virgil van Dijk. We have discussed him this season, but I feel like 
in comparison to Trent, he, in terms of the wider aspect of the media, he hasn't been getting focused on as much, despite his own quotes the other week. Because again, the third goal, yes, you could say Allison should be tipping it over the bar, but it shouldn't even be getting to Trossard in the first place. It should be, it should be being cut out in the first place. Um, and I wasn't there, so Chloe's probably in a better position to talk about this than me. The whole sim- substituting Simicast for Milner, that again, it just raised a few question marks for me because I, I couldn't tell you if Simicast was poor, whether he warranted the substitution, but it didn't seem to make sense at the time of the game that it happened. So that was another strange one. I just think that there's, there's so much to kind of unpack. I mean, we're doing, <laughs> we're 20 minutes into a podcast here. I think if we wanted to pick about, pick apart the bones of yesterday, we probably could do about three hours, but um yeah, there's more there's more questions than answers, and every game seems to create more questions. To be honest, yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. I think the the full back subs have been a recurring theme, and they've been very hit and miss. There's potentially an element in there of um, fatigue playing a part, things like that. But I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, obviously, I, I understand what why these steps are being taken, but you don't really see other teams necessarily taking off their the best fullback they have available with half an hour left for, for that kind of reason. So it's a bit, it's a bit odd. Um, and Milner as well is the frequency with which he's coming on. And he's coming on amount... at times of games where it's still in the balance. Yeah. Whereas James Milner now, his, his role in the squad should be to, to shore games up when safe. I think so. And don't get me wrong, he's had one or two sub appearances where he's been where he's been all right this season. But I think on the whole, when he's played, um, it has been a negative for us. And is there anything? I mean, I like I said earlier, with the exception of Matip, possibly just because I can't think of anything outstanding he did wrong. But I thought all of them the back four poor yesterday. But is there any reason to believe that Milner's going to offer you anything better? Kind of in either direction to sit my cast that. Don't yeah. think so, but I won't dwell on on that sub too much because uh, probably I want to get your take on the uh, on the defense. And also, you know, you watched that yesterday. How worried are you now for Arsenal away next weekend? At the moment, technically, they are the best team in the Premier League because they're top of the table. Um, and then, obviously, City the week after, who have scored um, after today against United. Let me just make sure I get this right: twenty nine goals in eight matches. So. I mean, that there's a limited amount of time to change things and show Liverpool up because there's got to be a concern about big amounts of, of goals going in in those games based on yesterday, surely. I mean, first of all, I'm worried for Rangers. Uh, I saw someone, some Rangers fan tweet the other day to think that we're no longer scared to face Liverpool Football Club um, because they're just so vulnerable. I mean, I'm still... <laughs> We only just beat Newcastle. We only just beat Ajax. Um, I, I, I'm worried for Rangers. I'm worried for Arsenal. I'm extremely. I think it could be a cricket score against uh, against Manchester City. Um, I do. The, the the thing with me is, I just I genuinely can't tell you what is up with this football club, like this football team. We're talking about the best centre half in the world being absolutely atrocious, absolutely shocking all season. I mean, it's only October, 
and no one's gone into gear yet. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is the best right-back in the world, having an absolute nightmare. Um, you've got a centre-half who you can't, you know, you're going between Gomez and Matip, and both of them have been a bit crap. They haven't been brilliant. Um, and then you, you're talking about a left-back where Robbo's been pretty much invisible. Um, and then Costas comes on and doesn't have an impact. And yet, I mean, when you're you're 2-2 two, two and you're going to win a game, James Milner is not the substitution that you should be making. I don't care where it is on a pitch, unless someone is injured and he has to come on and we don't have another right-back in place or something, then yeah, I can understand. When we go 3-2 up, why isn't Joe Gomez or someone coming on? Why have you not put... Like, you can see Trent's getting absolutely torn to pieces because they're going that side, they're attacking that side. Just put Joe Gomez on, see what we can do with Joe Gomez. Put someone else in the midfield. Why didn't we put James Milner in the midfield at that point? I mean, you'd already taken Costas off, that's why. Um, the, the problems are all over the pitch. From midfield, Fabinho has been absolutely shambolic all season and people for everyone turning around and saying the reason we looked better against Dijax was because we brought Thiago on and he's a brilliant midfielder and because he's got some technique about him he was in pretty much invisible yesterday as well um, there are far too many too many massive footballers in this team not stepping up um, our best players have been Alisson and, and Luis Diaz all season Alisson is a, a big player who has stepped up for us. Luis Diaz only came in last year. Last year. And he is the one who's giving me more than anything. Harvey Elliott is the only one who, when he came on, I saw his desire. He chased down everything. The You can't be relying on a 19-year-old to come on in the middle of the park and try and influence a football game. That's not who you should be relying on. You should be relying on your Mo Salah, your Thiago, your Jordan Henderson. You should be relying on Bobby Firmino, obviously, gets two goals. When, like, Nunes comes on with minutes to go, he can't do anything. You should be relying on Virgil van Dijk to have some control for being here to win the ball back in midfield. There are far too many players who are underperforming all over the pitch. Um, and like we've said, when the press doesn't work up top, which it did not, at least for the first 15 minutes at least, when they were just pushing out from the back and three passes, they, they were in on goal. When that doesn't work, the high line doesn't work. Just stop doing the high line. If you can see that our pressing's not correct, like I keep mentioning Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard came into Everton, had an idea how he wanted to play and then realised the players he was he had at his disposal were too crap to play the way he wanted to play. So he scrapped absolutely everything, put 11 men behind the ball and said, right, lads, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say tight, compact, you're going to win the ball and then we're just going to try and break. Just make sure we've got the defensive stability to first to go with it. Liverpool is still trying to use the same tactics, the same formation. And we've we've been caught out a little bit and the pressing's not good enough. So when that press isn't on, the high line does not work. So we need a plan B there, I think. Um, and the midfield, no matter how much... I mean, I said I wanted that midfield for stability. And it offered me absolutely no, no stability in that first 20 minutes. Um, I just, there's so many problems all over the pitch. And we can single out Trent, who's had a poor start of the season. We can single out all these players. 
but the the main thing is what we need to to know is that these players, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, these players have had spells where they've been pretty crap, but we've had other massive players who step up. You can pull two players through a game of football when you've got moments of magic on the pitch and you've also got brilliant players surrounding it. That's what Liverpool have done for the last couple of seasons to keep up with Manchester City. However, when there's six or seven senior players who aren't playing well, they're the players we need to drag Virgil van Dijk through the game when he's being bad or Trent Alexander-Arnold. But they're all being crap as well, which means none of us are playing well enough to be able to drag each other through a game of football. Um, and the hardest part here is these same players that are going through this have got to be the same players that somehow get us through it. And right now, I'm not too sure how we do, especially we, we need to, before we think of anything about the, the, the attacking sense, just get the stability back. Whether you have to change tactics, whether we've been caught out, whether it's a change of formation, I don't know. But we need to sort out our defending first to give us the license to go and attack freely. And we don't have that. I think when you look at the extent of the kind of individual failings, like like you allude to there, it probably is going to have to be a tactical change that's that's made or, or multiple changes, really, because it seems like if we keep trying to implement the formula that we're going for now, whatever that is, because it is hard to pin down at times, then even if we do adjust to it and it does start to look like what Klopp and Linders want it to look like, you know, how much damage is going to have been done by that point and, and sort of how much suffering will there kind of be um, results-wise? I mean, my take on the defence briefly is that it was just incredibly passive yesterday. Um, and, you know, I just feel as if any decent Champions League or Premier League level manager can look at Liverpool right now and it pretty easily work out the way to hurt them. And given that Klopp's big thing is we don't have to be the best team in the world, but we just want to be the most difficult team to play against. Well, right now, it looks like one of the easiest teams to play against in the Premier League, to be honest. Um, and yeah, the, the level of just sort of passivity yesterday um, and the lack of control that they exerted and just, you know, the, the striking ease at which you're able to sort of cut Liverpool open right now is incredibly alarming, um, to be fair. And you are right, Chloe, you know, Liverpool have 10 points, like I alluded to earlier. There's no reason when you look at the games, you look at the squad. I mean, yes, there's been injuries, but they should be up there with, up there with Arsenal and Man City in sort of 2021 territory. They should be competing for the title this season. They should be, you know, giving City a hard time, given the resource that they have. We've been used to sort of clap overachieving, if anything, during this time at Liverpool. Well, right now, it looks like we're in sort of uncharted territory with a group of players that's kind of hopelessly lost for whatever reason. And it's hard to, you know, I hope we're not in a situation where we're searching for the answer to this sort of crisis the whole season. And I hope it is something that we put behind us. But there's so many different things you could point to. And it's probably probably an element of of everything, really. And it's just a matter of working out what the biggest single issue is that's holding this team back because it's a whole host of of different things. Um, But... In saying that and talking about the grand scheme of things this season, Chris, is it now simply a case of 
let's finish in the top four because you see the strength of the rival team, see how poorly Liverpool have started. Is it now a case that we just adjust our expectations and think, okay, we are in for a proper top four race now? Yeah. Yeah, that's the short answer. (laughs) Um, I know you can be devil's advocate if you want and say there's a game in hand on the likes of Arsenal and City. There's uh, points to be played, got to play them twice, etc., etc. But to echo Chloe's sentiments earlier on, you know, the idea, like, playing such free-flowing sides as um, as Arsenal and Manchester City in the next few weeks, it's not a nice prospect. It's really not a nice prospect. I think expectations have to be, you know, realistic. Um, and at the moment, given that it is about it is about getting that stability in place, you can't go talking about the title. So I, Klopp and Alisson were both asked after the game about it, and they both batted it off quite quickly. Klopp said, you know, why would I look at the table to make myself feel even worse? And you, you're, you're totally right, by the way. The quality in this team, it shouldn't be where it is in the table. Could be even lower down if uh, if Leeds and uh, if Leeds get a result uh, today against Aston Villa. Um, and it's a big concern. It's a very big concern. And the most frustrating thing, I think, is probably not knowing where the main concern is. Because when you were talking about tactical changes, then you two, I was thinking in my head about what's the biggest tactical change. And again there, Chloe, you said about Trent being the best right back in the world. But the amount of people that have talked about him playing in midfield, is it now is it now trying, is this now the right time to find a way to get him in midfield? Maybe get a more defensively minded right side? The, the, the problem with that is that Trent cannot receive the ball with his back to to the opposition. He can't do that. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. So if you're putting him in midfield, he's got even less time and he's going to be receiving it with his back to goal. So I don't even think that is the answer. Um, what The thing with this Liverpool side is that I just don't know what to expect anymore. I don't know what to expect from them. I don't know what I'm going to get out of a game of football. Um, and... People are like, oh, yeah, we'll go and beat City, but watch, we'll lose to West Ham. No, I'd have probably said that a couple of a couple of years ago when we were challenging for the title because it seemed like every time we faced City, we just couldn't beat them. At the very beginning, under Klopp, we could. But in the last several seasons, we've lost the league by not taking points off Manchester City. And now I just don't know what to expect when these football players, you know, come out on the pitch. I, ju- I just don't know what I'm going to get. You know, we've looked at sort of two moments in Napoli and and United and seen them as kind of an idea for the team and, you know, the kind of jolt that the team needed. But how many sort of situations are we going to be in now where almost United-esque in that you've got to have these big sort of crisis meetings, these big sorts of um, massive discussions at, at Kirby with the players and clearing the air and all that sort of thing. It's like where does kind of the, the impetus come from? Um, and I'll bring you back in now, Chloe. Do you think, you know, there's people floating all sorts of theories. Every time there's a bad result, obviously people are going to talk about the lack of investment in the, in the team. I don't think we should really get into that. Now we've already talked about that a lot and I'm sure we will do in the future. But in terms of one explanation, do you think that the team is just potentially on the floor after the way last season ended? 
yeah, I think there's a case to say that we're burnt out both both mentally and physically. Um, and you've just you've got to refresh your team. You've you've just got to, and whether that's bringing in players or whatever, I'm not too sure. But you've got to keep refreshing it. These lads are going into their thirties. We've got an extremely old team now, um, and they've gave us some of the best things, uh, the best moments of of my life. But you can see that whatever has happened over the last couple of seasons, the first time it happened in the Champions League, you could go again because there was desire. When we lost the league and we won it the next season, there was desire. We've won both of them and we keep coming to the point where you've played pretty much every game that you possibly can. You've lost out in the most devastating ways. I think the the burnt out, and I don't know how you uh, like that is the only explanation I can think of from you going to challenge and and try and win absolutely everything that there is to win to this. I I don't know what else it could be. Like I, I really wish, and I don't think Jurgen Klopp knows to be perfectly honest. Because if he did, he would have sourced it by now, or we'd potentially see more positive signs. I've seen more games like the you know. Crystal Palace, there was United, um, obviously yesterday, like there was just, there's been so many games which we've seen, I mean Napoli, the, the same type of things and I, I think after Napoli, you know, we talk about revamping us and you know, I've not seen anything, I, I've not I've not seen us change a single thing, I, I, I can still see the, and I don't, it must be mentally and physically burnt out and draining because that's the only possible thing I can think about. Because surely these play these players can't just lose how good they are. They can't just lose the you know the muscle memory of playing football. Um, and yet it looks like half of us haven't you know. It literally looks like we've just put a load of strangers on a football pitch who don't know each other and they're just trying to play off each other. Um. It is. It's, I just don't. I genuinely don't have the answers. I'm. I'm a bit stunned, especially after watching the the Community Shield, where we all looked. We looked absolutely class, um, and we gave City a run in when they were playing really good in that game as well. I genuinely don't know what what's caused us to fall off a cliff, but my only suggestion is we're mentally and physically burnt out. And we've not refreshed the team again. We're asking the same group of players to go again and again and again. And they must be a bit sick and tired of, of coming up against the team that can, you know, just bought Erlen Haaland and is absolutely incredible. As a phenomenal team, can spend 50 million on backup players where we don't and stuff like this. I don't know what it is, but we just look like we... we, we I don't know whether it's we don't want to or if we don't have the, the capacity... To, to go for everything again. There was an energy in the community shield as well. There was like, you know, there wasn't a fatigue. There was a freshness. There was real attacking impetus in the community shield. And I know, I know it's the community shield, but it's, it, you know, it was meant to set the tone for what was to come. And then from the first day of the Premier League against Fulham, 90%, apart from the Bournemouth game, pretty much 90% of the squad have looked absolutely shattered. Really, and that one percent. Well, that so that that ten percent is probably just Lewis Diaz on his own. Do you know what the, the community shield is? A kind of a bit of a head scratcher now looking back, but you could see on the first day 
that they were the warning signs and you just had to put it down immediately after that. So I think we could say down here it was probably an overreaction because it's like we're saying, all, all the pieces seem to be there really. And, and I know we had injuries, but we could just still have been getting results really, you'd have to say. And I just think that the kind of burnout explanation is the only one, like you kind of touch on there, Chloe, that, that makes sense in terms of how does what is it that can kind of overshadow everything else that that's good about this team. But we'll move on to Rangers now um, for the, the final part of the podcast. Chris, I'll come to you first. We, we like to talk, obviously, a little bit about the opposition each time. And I guess the thing with Rangers is, obviously, they've taken um, a couple of heavy defeats um, at the start of the group. But they reached the Europa League final last year. And it's always hard to to gauge, really, how good Scottish sides are. So what level of sort of test do you think this is for Liverpool? Um, and, you know, maybe touching on what Chloe said earlier as well, a Rangers going to look at this and, and basically play without fear in the circumstances? Yeah, um, ever since Gerard went to Rangers, really, I've taken more of an interest in the battle between them and Celtic and probably Scottish football in general, really. Um, I would say a lot of their signings are still, you would maybe lower lower Premier League, like kind of championship level standard in terms of where they come from. But ultimately, last year's run to the final um, in, in Seville, you know, they really did show a lot of quality there. John Lundstrom was one of the stars of that run. Um, and with all due respect to him, I don't think he would consider himself a player who's you would put outstanding next to his name, but it just showed the kind of work ethic from the whole Rangers team. Connor Goldson as well, James Tavernier, of course, the the captain who's pretty much the, the uh, Scottish Premiership version of Trent Alexander-Arnold, isn't he, in terms of his set-piece delivery and his goal contribution for Rangers. I think they will approach the game without fear because from a Rangers perspective, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go into a game against a team that are conceding chances, conceding goals, and just have a go? You know, they'll have, well, put it this way, however many fans are allowed in the stadium on Tuesday night, there'll be maybe about 10,000 plus more around the city. So they will travel in their numbers. That's a fact. And they've got a great win against Hearts to gear themselves up for, for this trip to Anfield. And I think, look, Liverpool should win this game. That's also worth saying. Liverpool should win this game, but just because of the recent run and the recent chances conceded, there, there is when the kind of the nervousness comes into it. And that's why it's such a crucial game to at least get a winning feeling back. I mean, we said that about Ajax, didn't we? But then there was just such a big break until this game. If Brighton had been the week after Ajax, I think we might see a different story because we would have seen you know, the kind of... the bounce the the, the feel good factor still there but i think i do think it'll be a lot tougher than what a lot of people might thought it might have been at the start of the group also factoring in the uh the the frustrations at the moment yeah and obviously we've i think we got back to back against rangers as well so got going to uh ibrox next week and if we can go there with sort of six points at an iron from the first half of the group then you sort of feel good about it, knowing that you're going into kind of the, the half of the group with the, the two away games. Um, but it's crucial as well, like you touched on, to, to try and generate some momentum in this period because we've seen Liverpool really utilise that in previous seasons where you've sort of worried about them 
um, in a really grueling stretch of games, but they've just been able to kind of really find their rhythm and, and almost prefer that to um, having kind of a rest to, for players to to recharge in theory. You know, you you need to sort of almost view this as an opportunity to do the opposite of really of, of what's happened with, with the long break um, between the last two games, which kind of kills you off. And, but th- this time kind of draw some of maybe of that mental energy, which has been sorely lacking. But Chloe, are you worried? I mean, we're only two games in um, and obviously the weekend wasn't a Champions League game, but are you worried about Liverpool's almost chances of getting out this group at the moment? Because it's like you say, we really don't know what to expect from them. And, and it feels like if they don't, you know, book their ideas up or whatever that they could, they could be in trouble. I think the, the the real question you've got to ask yourself is if anyone's looking at facing Liverpool, no matter who you are, you're sat there licking your lips because you know you can get at them, you can attack them, and they'll probably crap the bed. And just we're too soft, we're far too soft. We just let people walk through us at the moment. Um. So, yeah, I am a bit concerned because not just does this drop of form not help our players, you know, mentally, physically, we've got to go again. It also gives the opposition who may have been scared at one point and may look at the club as, as Liverpool and be scared of everything everything that Liverpool means. When you actually look at the way we play, if there's a decent half manager and he just says, get at them, you know, we're going to make mistakes somewhere along the line. You, you, you can just, literally any manager could say to them players, put them under pressure, right, yeah, and you'll get at least one, one mess up from one player along that back four. Um, and if you consistently do it, then it'll happen several times. So, yeah, I am a bit concerned because Ajax, I think we played a little bit better, but we still only scraped by through, you know, the skin of our teeth. It was a last-minute winner. It was a header from a corner. We didn't score in open play in that last minute with lovely football, which doesn't matter because the win's the only thing you need. But the point being is we could so easily have drawn that game um, if Matip doesn't doesn't step up with a, with a brilliant header. So I am a little bit concerned because if people think they can just get at us and give us a game, it's just breeding confidence into an opposition and it's breeding even more negativity into ours um, when we make these many mistakes and we come out with the, the, the draws and you know the, the losses that we have been. That's the thing. I don't really know what to sort of expect from Rangers in terms of their level, but you just feel like any sort of half-decent players, half-decent setup is going to be able to expose Liverpool. But sort of with that in mind and talking about how many players are underperforming, I think it's going to be a quite interesting in terms of the, the team selections this week. Um, I've gone with uh, what I'd say is a fairly bold one. Uh, Chris, I'll let you go first though, before I, I share mine. Yeah, I, I have to say there's there's one or two advocates for this. So, Alisson in goal. Um, I have a back four of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ibrahima Kanate, Virgil van Dijk and Kostas Simakas. If Calvin Ramsey was up to speed, I'd be starting him this week. And if you want to call it giving Trent the night off. Um, I, re- I really do think at the soonest possible opportunity, if there is a chance to not harm the team, but also take him out of the firing line, 
this would have been the game for that. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Ramsey is going to be ready for this game. So, of course, Trent stays in. Um, Canate, because we spoke about it last week, he can't come back soon enough. I really think him come back would be a big boost to the defence in, in many ways. The midfield, Fabinho, Thiago and Elliot, similarly because we were saying about whoever starts against Brighton maybe doesn't start against Rangers or vice versa, who doesn't start against Brighton. And I just think Elliot, I think Elliot after the performance and um, the, how bright he looked when he came on, I think he'd be licking his lips. And then the front three is Salah, Diaz and Nunez because I stick to my word from the other day and that I was always going to start Darwin Nunez in this game against Rangers. I think it's the biggest opportunity. I think there are questions beginning. If, well, there were already questions, but the questions are kind of raising their head even more when he gets brought on so late on in that game. I know when it went 3-2, you might say, oh, it's, it's about shoring the game up as opposed to bringing an extra forward on. But Jota came on before um, before the 3-3 as well. So um, I think it's a massive game for Nunez just, just to get his first downfield goal. I think that would be such a big factor, get his first downfield goal. It would help him a lot in terms of settling in because I, I reiterate, the only way we can integrate the guy is to play him. And if he doesn't play games, he won't get integrated and the questions will be raised even further about do Liverpool feel like they've made a mistake already with um, Nunez. So that is my team. And also, of course, Diaz. Never want to see the guy benched ever again. Yeah, obviously coming on and getting the assist yesterday, Diaz. Hopefully, um, Nunez can sort of get that get that first goal. I mean, when he's actually played, he's um, he's done all right in terms of his returns. He's just he's just not necessarily getting the the game time, and and, and he has got to play. You know, we talk a lot about sort of easing him in or things like that. But I looked at it; it was surprising yesterday, and I, I think you know there was some talk. I think Klopp mentioned about maybe a slight knock that he had from international duty and stuff, but. I don't know, it's been a while now since he returned from that suspension and we've not really seen, I mean, aside from the derby, I suppose, any sort of significant glimpse of him. And I just think, you know, when he plays, he is someone who who gets chances and you just got to hope that he's able to put, to put those opportunities away because the volume of, of, of chances that, that he's getting is the encouraging thing. It's just, you know, the composure to, to finish them, really. And this looks like a game where he could maybe find some joy, but... He is in my team. I've gone for a different um, setup, really. So I've gone Gomez. I think the the struggles of Trent could be a lifeline for him. Nightmare against Napoli. So you wonder about him starting centre-back, certainly, in a big game. But with Ramsey still kind of working his way up to fitness, then, you know, you know can you keep starting Trent when you, you look at the sort of form he's in, but also kind of the, the lack of confidence that he has, you know. I think there's a very strong argument for, for playing Gomez here, um, to be fair. I think, and I don't know about injuries um, or anything like that, but I think Ryan Kent plays on the uh, the left-hand side for Rangers. He does, yes. Yeah, and he's obviously someone who had a lot of joy in Europe last season, and you worry about kind of with his kind of footwork and things like that, putting him up against Trent potentially one of their most dangerous players might not be the best idea right now um, unfortunately and I can't believe I'm saying that about a player who Liverpool essentially just got rid of because he didn't think he was good enough but that's the position we're in um, rest of the back four Kanate comes in hopefully fits enough after enough training sessions 
Van Dijk and Simakas kind of fortunate to keep their places, but they've both got to play. Um, it's kind of the reality of the situation that we're in. I don't think anyone's going to sort of say, oh, let's play um, Canate and Matip because that seems to me like it could work out even even more badly, um, to be honest. And then I've gone for a two-man midfield. I've gone for something similar to what we saw against um, Ajax late on. I've gone with Fabinho and Thiago, um, which is my, my some people might say is very bold to go more attacking when you're um, almost giving up a lot of chances. But I think those two, when they're sort of sitting alongside each other in front of the defence, can offer you some decent protection. Um, and obviously they've got to be so, so supported. Um by fullback stocking in and stuff, but maybe if you had Gomez there, for example, he's not going to be as adventurous as Trent and he can support them too. So then you'd have a front four, uh, Salah and Diaz in the wide position, Nunez playing as well. Firmino can obviously play the number 10 position um, and almost dovetail with Nunez in that sense, but I would like to see Harvey Elliott play as a number 10 because I do genuinely think, as I think I mentioned before on here, that he could um, really thrive in that role. And one thing to say on Ramsey, actually, before I hand over to you, Chloe, for yours. This is obviously a Scottish Premiership opponent, so it would have been maybe an ideal debut in that sense. But also, I've been thinking about it, trying to work out how good this player actually is, and you don't want to put too much pressure on him and all things like that. But Nathan Patterson, to be fair, you know, came in from a similar kind of situation, promising young fullback from the Scottish Premiership. He wasn't, I think, I think he was competing with Tavernier for minutes at Rangers, so he's not you know, wasn't playing a huge amount. And he's kind of come into the Everton team this season, albeit after a bit of time. And before his injury that he got, he was looking really good. So, you know, maybe Ramsey could actually play more than we realise it in that sense and could be a bit more of a factor um, with Trent. But yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more when he's a bit further down the road in terms of fitness. But yeah, Chloe, what have you done? Have you just made a few changes, maybe more sweeping changes or any sort of system change, anything like that? Um, genuinely, I don't know. I think you could drop about nine players in this football team, but sadly, we don't have the backups to drop them. Um, I just I feel like taking Trent out of the limelight would be a very very good thing to do. Um, so I'd probably I'd I'd go Ali, I'd put Gomez up right back. If Canate is fit and can start, I'd play Canate. I think Van Dyke needs dropping, but I can't drop him. Um, so I'm going to have to keep him in. So I'll go Canate and Van Dijk. Costas is your only option at left back. Midfield, I just don't. Maybe maybe because you've got Joe Gomez at right back, you, you put Harvey Elliott back in. I put Fabinho in, even though I don't think he's playing well. Um, Thiago in. And then I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go Jordan Anderson just to say safe. Um, then I'm going to go with uh, Lucho, Luis Diaz up top, with Jota and then uh, Mo Salah. Um, I, I can understand us spending 80 mil on a on a striker. I, I don't understand why we're not playing, but in this instance, I do. I just don't. I want to see Jota start a game of football up top for us. Um, I don't want him on the wing. I don't want him anywhere near the wing. Jota is most lethal when he's playing through the middle. And to be fair, Bobby Firmino can feel very hard done by because um, he scored two and played fairly decent the other day and, and I'm dropping him, but that that is my squad. Yeah, I think you've got to be wary with Firmino as well of sort of his injury record of late. And he did show great composure for his goals the other day, but definitely would be a surprise to see him 
come out the side. And it's interesting, really. It kind of maybe says a lot about our predicament right now that we've got all these players who, who are out of form, but there are some of them you look at and you think you, you just can't take them out of the team, really, because they are still important to what's left of the structure, I suppose. But yeah, that is going to about do us for this episode. So we'll see you again after uh, the Rangers game um, in midweek. Um, before then, though, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five-star review on Spotify or a positive review on any other podcast platform. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is in the episode description. So yeah, as I said, you'll hear us again in between Rangers and Arsenal when hopefully we've got some more positive developments to discuss on the Liverpool front.